been a difficult week for a lot of the people in America to see what is going on, and I felt it was necessary for us to shift our focus onto something this morning that's, I think, needed. I want to maybe give some help to you to be able to keep your focus on the Lord, um, keep your focus on Christ. But I just want to, as we have introduction, just tell you that there are things going on within the Christian world, Christendom, that, that sometimes gets my uh, heart down uh, and discouraged. I talked about a little bit in the men's prayer breakfast yesterday morning. We, we have at the end of the month, every month, we have a Saturday prayer time with the men. And uh, almost broke down a couple of times because of the week that we've had, not just in the Christian world. Um, we hate to see any pastor... Um, leave the pulpit. Uh, I have a, a tremendous amount of good men that I look to for examples. Um, um, very few of them um, have, have um, been able to come here and, and see you. Maybe someday they will. I know Pastor Coots has been here. Um, heard this last week of a wonderful pastor not too far from here, maybe 120 miles, maybe, a, maybe an hour and 20 minutes from here, uh, had to step down. Um, also, the, the, one of the, another man from the church, another pillar of his church stepped down. Uh, difficult for me to see that, um, both of them handing their resignation in to the deacon board. Um, because the crumbling of the local church hurts uh, a real lot. Uh, this establishment that we have here has been instituted by our God. Um, it is really needed for any culture, for there to be... You I mean they have a bar on every street corner? You think you'd have a church at least on every other street corner? Or, you know, it's something we need for a city. And when you find um, the churches faltering or struggling, um, the other ministries struggle because there are parachurch organizations that are funded. When I mean para, is they're like institutions that help out, like uh, the Access Center we support is is kind of a parachurch organization. Um, it's not under the canopy of a pastor and deacons. Sometimes the best colleges and Christian schools are under the canopy of, of a one-pulpit type ministry, um, some of the best. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to have a high view of the local church. And so when it struggles, it kind of gets you a little bit discouraged. And to keep our eyes off of man, of course, and on the Lord, um, we need a purpose to do that. Um, we need to continue to uh, do what we're doing, keep things as close to normal as possible. And uh, here we've got different things going on, and, and again, because of the variances that they've told us that are, are, are harmful to us. We have, in our state, we have uh, 2,300 now have come from Afghanistan into uh, Fort McCoy, and they'll be stationed there and helped out. And, and some of us look at that as being really a wonderful thing, and it is, that we can house them and help them. But remember what they're fleeing. They're fleeing Shatria law. They're fleeing Islam. So think about that for just a moment. If they come, uh, maybe we can't say, leave your God at the gate. But we could say, listen, we want you to think about what America is all about. Then we need strong leaders, not weak leaders. If you look at the, the president as being weak, it's because America's weak. Because we usually put somebody in charge like we are. Usually. Um, 
the Clintons are corrupt. And so America is corrupt and put them in place for those many years. And you have to realize this is reality. And I, I really believe that what we need now is for people to stand up and be strong in the Lord. Um, another thing that kind of hurt me a little bit this week and has brought me to tears is to know that there's 13 families that are really hurting because of their sons and their daughters. just want to read you the names. Many of them were Marines, and so it's close to my heart. I just wanted to let you know that the oldest one is what I'll begin with, Marine Corps Staff Sergeant Darren T. Hoover. He was from Salt Lake City, Utah, 31 years old. Um, he was the oldest. Marine Corps Sar- Sergeant Johnny Rosa Ruccapardo, Rucca- I can't say that five times, 25 years old of Lawrence, Massachusetts. Marine Corps Sergeant Nicole L.G., 23 years old from Sacramento, California. Marine Corps Corporal Hunter Lopez, 22, of Indio, California. Marine Corps Corporal Dagan W. Page, 23 years, of Omaha, Nebraska. Marine Corps Corporal Humberto A. Sanchez, 22 years old, from Logansport, Indiana. Marine Corps Lance Corporal David L. Espinoza, 20 years old, from Rio Bravo, Texas. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Jared M. Smith, 20 years old, of St. Charles, Missouri. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Riley J. McCullough, 20 years old, from Jackson, Wyoming. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Dylan R. Marrero, Marola, 20 years old, from Ranchero, Cucamonga, California. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Kareem M. Nikio, 20 years old, from Norco, California. And then a corpsman. Every reconnaissance team has a Navy personnel with them. There are plenty of them on a lot of these MAUs or Marine amphibious units or any kind of uh, team that's, that's out there. They have a lot of people from the Navy go along with them. And Kareem was one of those. Um, or or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Maxton Soviek, 22 years old, from Berlin Heights, Ohio, was that Navy personnel. He's, they call him a hospitalman. Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Knoss, or Noss, 23 years old, from Curryton, Tennessee. In the Pentagon, of course, the spokesman John Kirby said Saturday, yesterday, that the remains were being flown out of there and they are arriving today at the Dover Air Force Base. And if you can think of it today, pray for the families and pray for those that have been through the difficulties. I appreciate Fox News because I get to see people that have been in the service, but they're still hungry to help our country, still desiring to move on and had a hard week concerning these, because I know some of the families are hurting. And I thought to myself, what can I do to help our people? Because I know some of you are hurting inside. There's a lot that goes on in the emotions. There's a lot that you don't know about that we have gone through, some of us. And, and we have to deal with these pains and these difficulties and these hurts. And I call them hauntings. And if you've never been to war, you don't know nothing of these hauntings. But they come. And when they come, it's very difficult 
because you've got to continue to do your job. You've got to continue to fulfill your responsibilities, even though the hauntings come. Satan whispers in your ear and you have sensitive times to where nobody understands you. Nobody but God. And where do you go and who can you turn to? And I am not whining this morning because I'm not a whiner. We say at our house, my wife's got right above her kitchen sink, no whining, big letters. Sometimes we say, you want a little cheese with that wine? And she'll remind me, nothing worse than a man who whines. She reminds me once in a while. And so it's interesting as we think about this because we go through times of difficulty, but there has been always these things going on. I want you to look at the text, if you would, just a section out of, out of Psalm 119, and look at verse number 68. Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. And I really believe that if we're talking about God's goodness, that we can stay steadfast, steadfast in God's goodness. That God's goodness is why we are here today, because he's been good to us. And none of us have to walk home. None of us have to go to a hut somewhere or perhaps sleep on a cot someplace. We have places that, and and listen, even a poor person in America is doing a lot better than some of these refugees coming in. And I've been around the world, and I'm so thankful. I was sitting in the dentist chair waiting for the doctor to come in, and the nurse had a thousand and one questions for me. Uh, Whenever I'm in a place with a mask on that says U.S. Marines, veteran, uh, people want to talk. And so she did. And we talked about a few things before the doctor came in. And one of the things that I wanted to remind her was that she has been blessed and God is good. And a lot of times we can get our minds into the dark, so dark, and we're living in a dark world that if we don't forget that God is good, then we become stained, if you would. We're like that person, that Charlie Brown with a cloud over the head, walking everywhere, like kind of in the dark. And God wants us to walk in the light. He wants us to remember how good he is. And and I think it's important for us to remember that God is God and he's on his throne and he allowed the sun to shine today. He's allowing the corn to turn color now so that we can get to the harvest time. And, And he's not done. He wants to work in you. Somebody says, well, I'm in my 60s and I'm in my 70s. Well, that's okay, but God still wants to work in you. You're in your 80s or 90s even. God still has a plan. He's still preparing you for that place. And be sensitive, but remember his goodness, dear friend. Elizabeth Elliot said, God is God because he is God. He is worthy of my trust and my obedience, and I find rest nowhere but in his holy will. A will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. And sometimes it's important for us to just be submissive and say, yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. Yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. And when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. My answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Many of us remember Corey Ten Boom. A lot of movies have been made about her and a lot of writings on her and She said this, deep in our hearts, we believe in a good God, yet how shallow is our understanding of his goodness, especially since we see many things that seem to deny it. And she wanted on to write this. Often I had 
heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. And yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God is good also when he allowed my sister, Betsy, to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there and everything around me was dark. It seemed like everything was dark and there was darkness even in my heart. And I remember telling Betsy that I I thought God had forgotten us and Betsy looked at me and she said, no, Corey, he has not forgotten us. Remember his word? For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Corey concludes there is an ocean of God's love available for you. There is plenty for everyone. And may God grant you never a doubt of that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. We remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How much does God love you? Not the elect. There are going to be those that saw uh, above the door, Jesus saves, and they came through the door. And as they come through the door, they can turn around and look, and then you'll see the word election. Because election has to deal with with salvation, of course, but when it talks about predestination, it's talking about sanctification. That's after salvation. Some theologians get it all mixed up. And by the way, to have a a church that desires systematic theology or doctrinal theology is the church you ought to get into. Because what's happening today is the churches are buying into the philosophies of this world. They're accepting everything that they're they're being told. And by the way, if you soak your brain in CNN, you're going to have issues. You're going to have issues because it's contrary to the word of God. They are godless people that desire finances and money to keep things going rather than the God of heaven keeping them. One of God's faithful missionaries, Alan Gardiner, experienced many physical difficulties and hardships, and through his service to the Savior, he was hurt many times. And despite of his troubles, he said, while God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. In 1851, at the age of 57, he died of disease and starvation while serving at the Picton Island. That's the south tip of the South America. And when, when his body was found, his diary was there laying next to him. And it bore the record of hunger and thirst and wounds and loneliness. And the last entry of his little book showed the struggle of his shaking hand as he began to write, almost unlegible. I'm overwhelmed with the sense of God's goodness. Because you know what? God's goodness is something that you can't buy. You can't go to Walmart, and I just can't believe how much stuff is in Quick Trip these days. They don't have a section to say, here's where God's goodness is. Unless you like donuts. But the goodness of Quick Trip is okay, but the goodness of God is so much better. 
If you focus on his goodness and you focus on how good he's been to you all through these years. I remember my grandma, she was into her 90s living in our home. And, and she said, you know, Dean, I remember being a little girl on a pier about 11 or 12 years old. And I was going to a Catholic church and I knew who God was. And she says, as I dangled my feet in the water, I just sensed that God's presence was there with me. He was drawing me to himself. And then in her 90s is saying, God's been so good because in her 30s then, she, get, she got into a Bible-believing church here in Madison, and she went forward and trusted Christ as her personal Savior. You see, knowing about God is good, but accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior is a decision by faith that you need to make. Yes. All of us do. It's called conversion. We don't talk about that church anymore because it's offensive to people. Well, offend, 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 offend. Tell the truth that nobody can get to heaven unless they've been born again. And that word again is an interesting word. It's the word anathen, like the word another, but an N at the end. Anathen means from above. And it's, it's actually found again in, in, in Luke, the introduction that Luke gives. And he talks about how that I have learned these things from above because the word anathen means from above, but it also means again. And they chose to put in you must be born again. It also means from the very first, interesting word. And sometimes the original language is so colorful, that's why it's important for us to stick as closest to the original language as we can. And the authorized version does that. And so we take a stand here with the authorized version, and we'll continue until you have a casket up here. I'll keep going with the authorized version. Because it's, it's important that we stay closest to what the original says. But when it comes to this whole thing of being born again, we must be born again. But I want to entertain you with just a few thoughts, you know, and kind of just help you understand that, that God can, can give you power and strength just by focusing on his goodness a little bit this morning. So entertain a high vision of God's goodness. And so that's the first thing I see as we're looking at the, the highness of it all. I look, I look at verse number one. He says, Thou hast dwelt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Did David have difficult times? Yes. But he knew that God dealt with him in a, in a right way. Teach me good judgment. You could circle the word good. And not the knowledge, of course. And, and for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, before I had difficulties, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. And so let me just share with you that if you've been through difficult times where you feel like God is afflicting you, that's okay. Because it's during those times that you'll cry out to him. But I find in this passage really the nature of God's goodness. And the nature of God's goodness, first of all, it is divine. It, it, it is God who is God. And it, it is God who is the one that will comfort you and give you strength. All of his attributes, his love, his truth, his justice... All make up his goodness. And so when we're talking about God's goodness, we're talking about his love. We're talking about, of course, the truth of his word. We're talking about his justice, his righteousness, and his desire to send his own son. But I, I believe it's divine, and we could focus there for a moment, but I must move on. It is also operative that God's love and God's goodness is continuing to work. It is positive and active versus negative and passive. Some people think that God is some old person up there with a beard. And he just kind of just looks down from heaven and, you know, he's like, like Uncle Sam looking down and, 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 and his chair kind of laid back. No, 
Our God never slumbers or sleeps. And by the way, our God is Jehovah. He sent his son, Jesus, and there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. Just kind of wanted to put that in there. Our God is not Allah, not Buddha. Our God is Jehovah. He is king, and he will always, and he is operative. He never slumbers or sleep, sleeps. And we see this in nature. I think we see it in, in the sunshines. And I mentioned it also that it, we see all of these things changing, and we see it in the stars. We see it, uh, again, and how they sparkle and how the birds sing and how the crops shoot up, and eventually they wave back to heaven as the wind blows a little bit, and we see the operative goodness of God. We see his goodness in giving us grace, that God didn't have to give you grace, but he did. We, we see him by his protection, and many of us have said, wow, I'm so glad I wasn't in that accident. Just recently I saw an accident that was given to, um, to, to, uh, to, to, uh, on the Facebook of an accident that was up where we were just at. We were up in the UP area, and there's a road that goes all the way from, from uh, the Land of Lakes, goes all the way up to, to, um, to Waters, Michigan, and there was a bad accident. Horrible-looking car. And they said, you know what? The car that they took away was worse than that one. I thought, what a horrible accident. Right in the roads that we were. And I thought, so I said, thankful, Lord, that you're not going. Thank you so much, brother. Is that? Yeah? You didn't lick on it or anything? Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. How thoughtful. I think I'll pour it in a cup, though, and drink it out of this cup. See, I'm shaking. That's not because of medication. It's because I'm 60. And I'm always nervous up here. Even you think I, I may act like I'm tough. I am not. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. Let me just tell you that God is constantly providing grace to us. Not just saving grace, but also sustaining grace. And serving grace. That, that I could stay here for 24 years and open up the Bible and preach to you is really a product of God's grace. How can a man take the word of God and teach people the word of God day after day, year after year, decade after decade? How could he do that? Only by his grace, right? He saved me by grace at the age of seven. He sustained me through all of those things in Lebanon. He helped me go through college. Actually, I'm a senior for the third time and now, and I'm looking forward to graduating next spring at 60 years old. But I'm telling you, it's because of God's grace. His grace is sufficient. Oh, he's God's grace by protecting us, by providing for us. He always provides for us. Sometimes when I think, how are we going to do this? And all of a sudden, Tammy will say, well, this is to happen and this happened. I'm thinking, that had to be God. Sometimes she'll come out of the bathroom and she'll say, you like this dress? And I say, wow. She said, 50 cents wow. at a garage sale. Or, or, or perhaps, you know, $5 or whatever, but... It sure beats 50 bucks from the dress shop. And I don't even like going in those places. Because yeah. God's goodness and his provision. Thank you, Andrew, but I have water. They should have stopped you. Thank you anyway. I don't need to. Thank you so much for the thought. You're always on top of things. Thank you for straightening the rug, by the way. I found out it was him. But God's goodness in the area of forgiving you, because he constantly forgives you. If we confess, listen, on the way here this morning, before I prayed for all of you, I asked God to forgive me. 
I, I took care of the inside first. And it says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And remembering that God constantly forgives. If you're having a hard time with forgiveness, it's because maybe you don't have it. First of all, get it, and then you'll be able to give it. And the only one that can forgive you is God. The priest can't forgive you. I mean, he can forgive you, forgive you, but I mean, he can't take away your sins. Only Jesus can do that. Amen. So it's interesting as we think about it because we understand God's goodness through, uh, I, I put down here, because of giving us the Holy Spirit. That's God's goodness to us. That he designed it so that we could be partakers of the divine nature. So I am a partaker of the Spirit of God. Like, Jesus in spirit form can live within somebody. The Holy Spirit abides in us. That's pretty powerful. It doesn't, it doesn't come into us by some deed that we do or something that we learn or something that we recite. It is by really being a person who would be humble enough to say, Lord, I know I can't do it on my own. And I'm coming to you because I know I have no other help but to call out to you. Would you please forgive me of my sins? Would you please forgive me of the things that I've done that I think are wrong? And maybe they're not sin, but I think that they're wrong. And so would you forgive me for that? He will forgive you for that. If you go to him and then ask him to come into your life, you just open up that door wide open of your heart and he'll come in and he'll abide in you. And by the way, he'll never leave. He'll be there. He will never leave you or forsake you. Friends will. Maybe your husband will. Maybe your wife will. Maybe your parents will. But Jesus never fails. Wish I could sing. I would sing, Jesus never fails. And, 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 but if I could sing, then I'd probably have more people on YouTube watching me. But all I can do is preach. Through the giving of the Holy Spirit, through the comforting from above. But, but the effects of a high vision, or if you would, of God's goodness, it really enhances your relationship when you begin to think about God and focus on God. And remember Isaiah 6. I mean, what an incredible description of what God looks like sitting high upon his throne. What a, what a great, great vision, but what a voice. What a great understanding of God. What a sight and what a sound that Isaiah gives to us an understanding of who he is, and that enhances our relationship with him. It increases our security when we begin to look at God's goodness. It produces assurance because we need that because sometimes we don't feel like we're saved because of living in the flesh. But salvation isn't based upon feeling. It's based upon the fact of God's word because your emotions can trick you. Even if our hearts condemn us, know that God is greater than our hearts because your emotions are so flip it. We have to remember that God has an incredible desire to keep you sound, sane, and sensible in a world that is so confused. They don't even, I mean, they're twisting everything from words to pronouns. And then they think that guys like me are going to change. They think that. It ain't going to happen. I'm fixed in God's great goodness, and I will remain there, and I don't need this old world. They need Jesus, though. Yes, amen. So I think about this high effect and 
gives me the power to be able to enhance my relationship, increase my security. It produces assurance and encourages me to go to prayer. And it gives me the proper view of self. Whenever you're thinking about God and focusing on him, you see how puny you really are, dear friend. Nothing really, I think, is a boring more to God than a prideful Christian. You may be saved, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you flaunt around like you're the only person on earth. Shame on you. You have a God that's allowing you to breathe his air. You ought to thank him this morning. Get up out of bed. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for giving me the power to do what I can do. Humble yourself before God and he will draw near to you. He resists the proud. Gives us a humble view. It's interesting because when we have the proper view of self, we do become humble. We become grateful. We become dependent on him. And we become submissive to one another. That's all part of the Spirit's work. So it gives us a proper view also of affliction. Painstaking events in our life will humble us and drive us to the Word of God for the answers. And where we learn, of course, and where we lean, it may be the best to deny our way and yield to God's way during those times. As a ship sometimes needs to head to the harbor because of the storm or maybe for a different reason. And so at the time, God in his providence may be helping the captain of that ship and all those aboard the ship. And I think about how that sometimes we must take times of rest. When I was in the service, I was on the USS Pensacola. I think they retired the ship now. But it was big enough to handle a bunch of Marines. We all were down below. The Navy guys had different accommodations. Ours were basically hammocks that hung from the, on the walls. And uh, the person that was on top of you was right here. It was close. But sometimes those ships would anchor, and then they would have a time of rest, a time of renewal, a time to restock. Maybe there was some repairs that had to be done and redirect. But it wasn't by accident that they had to rest. And sometimes, just as an old ship needs to take the time of going into the harbor, sometimes God allows us to do the same thing. We enter into a hospital room not knowing how long we're going to be there. We enter into some illnesses that maybe we think should go to somebody else and not us, perhaps. But God allows it to come for a reason. And that reason many times is for us to be renewed in our walk with him and to be renewed in his goodness. So don't shy away from times of affliction. God's goodness and God's glory really are the same thing. And these words are important. Spurgeon wrote them years ago. Let me read them to you concerning God's glory and God's goodness. Spurgeon said this, it has frequently happened that good men in times of great trial have asked God either to give them a a single a signal token of his love or a special revelation of himself that they might be strengthened and encouraged thereby. I suppose that many here present, is, it is true that when called by the master to great labor or deep affliction, you have been conscious of the same inward desire. Your heart has craved after some extraordinary dispensation of grace to counterbalance the or extraordinary visitation of suffering that came to you and that has overtaken you. Where you indulged with singular nearness to God and God met with you 
and you had unusual glimpses of his glory. Let us draw your attention in, in, this, in, in the first place that the fact of God's glory evidently lies in his goodness. You observe this, I really believe, it's found in Exodus. If you wanted to take your Bibles and turn back there with me to Exodus, just for a moment, look at Exodus with me. Because we see this here, that God's glory and God's goodness in hand in hand. And so when we're looking at God and wanting to desire his goodness, we're actually desiring his glory. The Bible says in verse number 12 of the 33rd chapter of Exodus, God presents this in his, in his word. Like Brother Mauricio says in the white pages. A lot of us don't look at these, but I, I, I always say really in the... In, in, in the Old Testament, there's so much. And you find an Old Testament man and, and that, that braces the New Testament, you'll find a man of God because they work both and both. And a lot of times, I'll, t- I'll bring you messages just out of the Old Testament. But look what it says here in verse number 12. I need to read through it rather quickly. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou hast sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Look at verse number 13. This is the 33rd chapter of Exodus. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. I mean, show me where to go. If you you have your grace and you've given it to me, then, then show me the way that I may know thee and that I might find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. In other words, I'm not going without you, God. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? And so shall we be separate, separated? I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken of, for thou hast found grace in my sight. I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Part of God's glory is his goodness, according to the Old Testament. Look what it says in verse number 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show, show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand by upon a rock, and it shall come to pass that my glory shall pass by, that I will put thee in a, in a, cl- a cliff of the rock and I will cover th- thee with the, the, my hand while I pass by and I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face shall not be seen. God says, I will show you my glory and I will show you all my goodness because that's hand in hand. Yes. And so when we think about the glory of God, we must think, I mentioned the contrast really of being humble and being proud. And I think it's mentioned in verses 69 and 70. Look at the Bible, if you would, in Psalm 119 and just a few more verses and we're all done. The proud have forced a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. 
It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Sometimes we're not teachable until we've been afflicted. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. I really think that leads us to the second point, and the second point is that we entertain a high value of God's word. Quickly, I heard a story about a young man speaking to his father-in-law to be, and his father-in-law said, how much money do you have in the bank? And the young man said, well, I haven't shook it for a while, so I don't know how much is in there. I think a lot of times we look at being wealthy. I'm so glad my father-in-law didn't look at my bank account when I married Tammy. But my father-in-law knew that there was something more than just silver and gold. There has been a, today really a theory among us that some people need to be respected because of their silver and gold. Some people believe that money is the most important need and the greatest value, but the Bible speaks differently. Psalm 19, verse number 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Sometimes we think that wealth can purchase certain things. Wealth can purchase what some think is happiness. Fancy clothes help them to make, make them feel more better, perhaps, about themselves. But the Bible allows us to be clothed with the righteousness of God. The Word of God allows us to. Wealth can purchase a magnificent home, but the Bible is the only thing that will be able to give a home the peace it needs. I think about the wealth of people and think they can purchase things. So we can purchase books, of course, as far as education is concerned, and degrees, but the Bible gives us an incredible source of wisdom that goes beyond the learning of knowledge. It gives us the ability to make right choices consistently. Some people think that they need to be put down, perhaps, the red carpet as they walk in, you know, I remember my brother, Darren, uh, he worked for ACN. It was part of the group that went to, I don't know, Donald Trump had a show called You're Fired or something. I don't know what it was. But, but he went there. My brother was able to meet him. He's part of ACN, part of the back scenes of all of that. He was, got a picture of, of, of Donald Trump and him together. And they were, but he was on red carpeting. They laid red carpeting out for him. Money is never uh, in need of people to worship it. Uh, Very few, if any doors are closed to to a millionaire. When their car pulls up, I was at breakfast at the jet room and Bob Keanu and some of the other men, we meet sometimes at the jet room and I pulled in to go in and have some food and sitting in my truck I saw a limousine-type suburban pull up, and the person was pretty wealthy to have a vehicle like that, and they have a private chat. The, the, the gates opened up, and I thought, you know, the millionaire 
he really doesn't have any problem for doors opening to him. But the Bible confers to a higher ground. Then these, by the Bible, we learn the way to heaven. And by the Bible, we learn the way how to treat people. We learn how good God is. And all of this is brought out of the scriptures that these men may never know of. And there may be some godly rich people out there, and I'm not trying to slap you upside the head at all. I'm trying to help you understand that there's more than just your money. Oh, I could go off, but I can't. What wealth cannot do, the Bible can, because money cannot give you forgiveness, but the, the word of God can. Money cannot buy you guidance. Money cannot buy you a good reputation, Mr. New York Governor. Money cannot buy you good character, Mr. Clinton. Money cannot buy blessings, but the word of God can give you blessings. What wealth will do, the Bible won't. Wealth brings anxieties and cares. The Bible doesn't do that. Wealth will put demands on your heart, but the Bible doesn't do that. And in closing, I want to tell you a story. In 1928, that's a long time ago, almost 100 years ago, a group of world's most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. The following men were present. The president of a large utility company was there. The greatest wheat uh, investor was there. The president of the New York Stock Exchange was there. A member of the president's cabinet was there. The greatest bear of Wall Street was there. The president of the Bank of the International Settlements was there. The head of the world's greatest monopoly was there. And collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than was in the U.S. Treasury at the time. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of our nation to follow their examples. 25 years later, this is what happened to these men. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life, and he died broke. The president of the wheat investors, Arthur Cutton, died abroad, insolvent, running from bills. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in Sing Sing Prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home with his family. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livymore, committed suicide. The president of the Bank of Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. The head of the world's largest monopoly, Ivor Druger, committed suicide. All of these men had learned how to make money, but none of them knew how to live. You see, what's important for us is to have a high view of God's goodness. And when we do, we understand that when we're thinking about his goodness, we're thinking about his glory. And we really understand his glory, we then can understand his grace. Because, you know, God's grace was not given to us so that we could flaunt ourselves and dress like we want to and live like we want to and go ahead and smoke pot and drink all the time and go ahead and live like the world and listen to their music and go ahead and watch their movies and think that Hollywood is great and say, well, I think it's more spectacular to look like this. 
we understand, no, God's grace was given to us, according to Titus, to live godly in this present world. That's a proper view of his grace. And Jude warned, between the end of the New Testament and the understanding of the Revelation, Jude warned, and said that there would be creeps that would creep in unaware, that would actually turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's happening in our day. You can just listen to whatever you want to listen to. Dear friend, listen, I'm not trying to beat you up over the head. Authentic Christianity is going to have a bunch of people looking at the goodness of God to see his glory, to understand grace, so they would come to him for salvation. And then they would separate themselves to live a godly life. Because you know what people need today? They need you to live godly. And if God is ever going to have mercy on America, it'll be because of small churches like this that desire to to, to be biblical and obey him. How are you doing? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Have you already received him? Wonderful. If you haven't, receive him today. Come on down. The altar is ready for you. Maybe you just need to come and pray. I don't know. Maybe before you walk through the doors in front, before you took the bulletin in your hand, you said, today's the day I'm going forward because I need help. Then come. We have a good God that wants you to say yes to him. He's been working on you for so long. Just yield and say yes, Lord, yes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Won't you stand where you are? I'm going to have a word of prayer, and as soon as I'm done, if you need to come, you come today. If it's salvation, if it's just to get right with God, if it's just to give him your burden and lay your burden down, this is the altar that you do that. It's used for that. This is not meant to to help you and be some glorified spot, but this is a spot where you can get real with God, and you can actually admit to who you really are, someone that needs help, and God will meet you there. Father, I pray that you bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.